Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, traders, wherever you may be on planet Earth. You are tuning into the 50th episode of the Performante podcast. My name is Nathan. I've got Keith with me. We've got a jam-packed episode covering crypto stories from across the globe. We're going to be talking about some Bridgewater smack talk. We're going to talk about some altcoins that are just tripling in days. Of course, we got to give some shout-outs to our boy Elon. We've got some big news coming out of Uniswap and the ERC20 network, as well as some friendly smack talk about Cardano. So I appreciate the time you've taken to tune in, and I'll pass it on over to Keith. Thank you very much. Welcome, everyone, to another Performante podcast. We're going to start this one off talking about Bridgewater. Hopefully everyone knows that. We do talk about Bridgewater Associates quite frequently. It is the company and birth child of Ray Dalio, probably one of my uh, long-term favorites in terms of kind of value investing, portfolio management. But there has been a little bit of FUD on his end in terms of one of his key individuals, his CFO, actually left Dalio's company to join an institutional Bitcoin firm, NYDIG. This individual is John Delby. Um, he's actually joined the financial services firm there as the CFO there. Um, so I think overall, this change is occurring more and more. Um, we've seen over, I think, I don't exactly know, but uh, p- people like Morgan or businesses like Morgan Stanley, New Life, New York Life, Mass Mutual, Liberty Mutual, and Star Companies, FIS. These are some of the companies that have seen um, people leave to actually enter these new cryptocurrency companies. So pretty unbelievable. Um, we do see. Bridgewater Associates by Ray Dalio has been hesitant to actually embrace Bitcoin as an asset. He actually has been talking about it as a potential opportunity somewhat similar to gold, but I don't think he's actually taken that next step to actually take action to invest. So these kind of legacy institutions that are hesitant to take that next step to adopt this new type of technology will um, be hard to hold these uh, individuals who are looking to get into the space. Yeah, ultimately, just like you said, I really align myself with Ray Dalio. I consider him a role model to the way I navigate financial markets. And his stubbornness concerning Bitcoin and the larger crypto space can be a little bit frustrating sometimes. And ultimately, his CFO spoke for him. He said, hey, if we're not going to be innovative here, I'll take the better offer and go to NYDIG, the institutional Bitcoin firm. And uh, although the one thing that I will give Ray credit for is many months and years ago, very anti-crypto, recognized the biggest threat to it is kind of like the regulation side, like what happens if governments ban it, just like they banned gold many years ago. Uh, But he has kind of warmed up to it. I think he recognizes the technological merits, but is still intimidated by the fact that steep regulation could come down. But I remember hearing about an interview that he advocated Bitcoin should compose 20% of a portfolio if, if and only if there is a de-dollarization event where we no longer transact in USD for the global reserve currency. I think that was the only time that he advocated for Bitcoin allocation in kind of a macro profile. Because at the end of the day, when you're talking about Ray Dalio, you're talking about Bridgewater, that's really the game they're playing. They're managed so much money, it's absolutely insane, and they're trying to play long-term games in that macro portfolio management space. Yeah, I think you gotta be able to kind of stand your ground, and I'm sure they've seen so many different technologies come and go, and you know the I guess the uh, power of time 
they use to their advantage. So then obviously with gold, silver has really stood the test of time. So I think with such a large portfolio and like they have the most amount in AUM, I believe in the world, I'm sure they need that extra validation compared to some of us uh, crypto degens that have, you know, a lot less capital compared to what he has to, I guess, lose or gain. So we're able to play a little bit more speculative in the investment field. So it's kind of understandable. Uh, being able to have some exposure, I think, would be beneficial. I think he's slowly changing. There's some people who are just hard set on, like, for example, Warren Buffett or uh, Charlie Munger, who just think BTC. And I think most cryptos think he, uh, they think it's rat poison which um, obviously we completely disagree, but they might not ever switch back. So it's really great to see these uh, huge, big names be able to slowly at least think of BTC as a potential opportunity. And I think it'll just be inevitable before if the ones who are actually open to it will convert. So moving on to the next topic, we're going to talk a little bit about Ethereum Classic. Uh, maybe you do know or don't know about Ethereum Classic. Um, a lot of people, I think, uh, is a little bit unsuspected as to how well it's doing right now. But Ethereum Classic was born out of a uh, split from Ethereum in 2017. It was out of a hard fork, and a lot of people obviously chose the uh, legacy Ethereum. But we do see it from 2021, sitting around $8 the start of this year. And we're sitting at around $120 right now with a high of over $179, um, just breaking the 180 mark. So unbelievable gains. Obviously, uh, it's, in my opinion, a little bit surprising. But um, yeah, we're seeing this absolute mania. If you're looking at it from a technical standpoint, if you are viewing from a YouTube or um, maybe, hopefully I can explain it, you see these very well-structured series of lower lows and higher lows. So then you're getting a squeeze. And to be honest, looking obviously from hindsight, it looks somewhat obvious, but in terms of how much aggression we've seen it's pretty unbelievable and we'll get into kind of the mania of what we're seeing right now and this is obviously an actual project that has goals and use cases um, similar to ethereum but we're seeing we'll talk a little bit later of uh, capital flowing into less um, i would say formative projects but uh, yeah what are your thoughts on this absolute monster move 100% Ethereum Classic went to the goddamn moon after it retested that $11 zone as support. I'm a little bit surprised just like you and uh, a little bit of a side story. I uh, came home from a run, got 10 kilometers in, I showered and uh, I got out of the shower, checked my phone and I had an email from Binance telling me that I was going to get uh, margin called. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? Let me log on. And it turns out I had a Ethereum Classic debt. I hadn't repaid, super marginal amount, not very much, but it was just enough that uh, I guess that they triggered the level for Binance to contact me. So I had to quickly mark it by some Ethereum Classic, short it. And it turns out that I was actually short on Ethereum Classic, somewhere between 2018 and 2019 and never fully closed. No way. <laughs> never fully, never repaid my position. And so I guess that was my claim to fame with this Ethereum Classic pump. Didn't catch any of the action. But I don't know, we're at a point where hopefully you've got your bags packed ready for liftoff because anytime you're buying at these super inflated, iconic alt-season prices, you're assuming such a large level of financial risk that it's really hard to wholeheartedly advocate for people to buy these levels. Like, if, I would rather not own crypto than own Ethereum Classic and buy it at 120 US dollars.
Like, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's 100%. I completely agree. I think that's a really good point um, to kind of bring up is um, close your positions as well. <laughs> I think many people, uh, including myself, kind of maybe sometimes forget to close fully, uh, close positions fully, but... Um, man, that's a good story. Good. That's pretty interesting. It was, I'm very happy that it was not a significant amount because that would be like a Tesla short position when you're at like the $60, $80 range and then it pumps and you're like, oh shit, you can't really get out. So <laughs> that's a funny story. Yeah, 100% didn't get caught with too heavy a, heavy of a bag. But just to double back to what we were talking about earlier, I think this Ethereum Classic is really coinciding with the rest of the market euphoria we're seeing right now. I mean, just looking at TradingView right now, taking a quick peek at Doge. Doge is at like six, 70 cents at the time of talking right now. It topped out almost closer to 75 cents within the last hour. Absolute insanity, all thanks to Elon. He will be going on Saturday night live tomorrow evening, which should be an interesting uh, recording, no doubt. Surely the Doge father will have something interesting to say. Because we're at such a stage where things are just popping up for no apparent reason, hundreds of percent of growth, no rhyme, no reason, just retail FOMO. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Um, it's kind of interesting, like seeing him in that environment of like being on TV with celebrities, kind of being like a TV host, because you just see like what he's capable of and like. It's just funny, kind of like him being in such a simple state compared to, I'm sure, how he is 99% of the time. But yeah, I'll, it'll be interesting. If he mentions anything about Doge, I'm sure it'll just be absolutely mooning. Um, and, and the hopes and dreams of everyone who's holding there of it going to a dollar could honestly potentially come into fruition, which is pretty unbelievable as a complete meme coin. Like you see the market cap of Doge compared to all these projects that have these people that have been working, you know, decades or years for like their project. And it just gets surpassed by this meme joke coin. Um, it's a little bit sad to be completely honest if you're looking at it from just a straight logical level, but it's just a really good snapshot and representation of what the current market euphoria is in my personal opinion. So um, yeah, it, it I think it's just good to ride the wave. Uh, why fight it, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's opportunities for profits no matter where you look at the in the current market environment. And I think Doge has really uh, not necessarily proved itself because it's not like it actually does anything, <laughs> but it's definitely found itself near the top of the coin market cap list. It is the fourth largest crypto by market cap putting it over tether by like a hefty 30 billion so i think we're at a stage in the in the bull run where marketing makes the market yeah and we've seen this with those we've seen this with other ones and we've seen this with a lot of shit coins recently i think the amount of shit coins that have been listed on the binance smart chain is pretty much near goddamn infinite there was safe moon there was elon gate there was safe elon there was Elon Moon, there's Tits, there's Ass, yeah. it's, there's Cum Rocket, there's Boob Coin, literally endless. There's Eclipse, there's Zeppelin, there's Feta, literally endless shit coins. And what's interesting is they all kind of follow the same model of, hey, this Binance Smart Chain contract, super easy to make, don't have to pay gas fees, can transact for such small nominal amounts. We're going to slap... A 5% fee, a 10% fee, a 20% fee, half is going to get burned, half is going to get redistributed. Like it's so cookie cutter mm -hmm. that in my opinion, there's nothing really differentiating between the upper end projects. 
And so I hate to say it, but I'm an Elon holder. I got an Elon Gate holder. I got a big ass bag. So does Keith. And even just comparing that one between uh, SafeMoon and Elon Gate, I'm probably biased as shit. But SafeMoon doesn't at least donate to charity. So in essence, there's a, a little bit maybe more of a fundamental value behind Elon Gate. And uh, I think that's really just in tune with what we're seeing, this market euphoria, this FOMO, where people just want gains and it does not matter where they have to go in order to get them. Yeah. And like uh, we were talking about it as well a little bit earlier uh, off the podcast, there's different like mini bull runs or like secular shifts within the crypto market. Like you'll have these different categories. You'll have kind of like the, the poop coin, the shitcoin kind of um category i guess you could say all the ones that you've mentioned and they'll pump even when like bitcoin ethereum litecoin even bnb and like like link all these like polka dot these like the main what you would classify as like the top actual projects um when they're consolidating or going down you'll have like safe moon elongate even feta some like in these different projects like doge you'll have them actually go up and like almost in a parabolic state so it's pretty crazy that they're slowly kind of creating their own different markets um and, and i do think that most of the projects will probably um not end off actually being used but you know you'll have these coins that i think will have enough marketing in a community that will just drive it and create more awareness that it'll just onboard millions of people like safe has over a million people right we already talked about dogecoin jumping up above basically almost every single altcoin that there is almost every single one which is pretty unbelievable um even just looking at um the amount of trading volume on these exchanges these decentralized exchanges that you need to use to actually purchase these um are increasing every like recently um we've had over in just 24 hours two billion dollars just in cake um in terms of the uh pancake swap traded um that's unbelievable right um so then in, in terms of where this could go in the future, I think that's going to be the main platform. Um, and we talked, we'll talk a little bit more about the fees and stuff, but I'm just currently looking at a little chart here where we see PancakeSwap, which is a ch basically the uh, Binance Smart Chain version of Uniswap to Ethereum. Um, there's a lot of efficiencies with it. It's cheaper. In my opinion, it's easier to use. The app is super great for UI. Um, and I think a lot of people are already kind of utilizing that and seeing that already because A, it's cheaper and B, if it's easier to use, there's a lot more people who are just open to actually using it. Um, you could use it on a phone. All these new coins that we're talking about are all on the Binance Smart Chain. So then there's already a new wave of people who are using that application and you need to be able to transact. They can see that the number uh, in terms of the price for the token on the platform. And if you're able to actually get a lot of people on board and using it, um, in my opinion, that's a really good case to actually invest in PancakeSwap because that's going to be where everyone are. Um, there's secular different divisions like we talked about and the, I guess you could say the meme coin or shit coin category is kind of cementing themselves as an actual category. I don't think Dogecoin is leaving anytime soon at this point. And I think there's going to be more coins similar to Dogecoin that don't really serve a purpose. Like you got Chariot, you got these other things. Um, 
but they're not really trying to solve a problem per se. Um, so it's kind of interesting seeing it. Um, obviously having exposure is pretty unbelievable. Um, probably the best trade I've ever made in, in terms of investment from what I in initially invested. But um, I think the next one in terms of not just the asset appreciation, but the ability to stake, which I'm sure um, Nathan can talk and touch a little bit on more. But PancakeSwap is, in, my, in our opinions, a really good opportunity here. Yeah, 100%. PancakeSwap has only been around for what, like two and a half months now, basically since the inception of the Binance Smart Chain. And they've already found themselves to number 29 on coin market cap with a market cap of 5.9 billion. And in my opinion, as a bit of a DeFi degen, it does everything Uniswap does, but so much more smoothly. It really reduces that, inf that friction from the investor side. So Uniswap has a market cap of $20.7 That makes PancakeSwap just under one-third of the size of it. And so in that regard, I think PancakeSwap has the edge in terms of product. It is a more well-rounded tool. It operates faster. It operates cheaper. You can get higher yield through the staking programs. And so in that essence, we are very bullish on Pancake just because it is a higher quality product invading a very large market. That being said, their auto compounding of cake is absolute insane. I've set up an absolute fat bag of pancake <laughs> and uh, completely theoretical. This is not financial advice, but if you were to uh, get around 15,000 USDT equivalent in cake, you would be getting more than one cake per day, which working on the current rate not a, not uh, accounting for the compounding, you'd be clearing over $13,000 US a year in purely passive income. And what makes that pancake thing so formidable is that it auto compounds your rewards. So if you have 16K US in cake in that auto compound and you're getting paid one cake a day, in essence, you have $36 being added to that total balance every day. The only thing better than compound interest is letting it work twice. Yeah, double compound interest. Yeah, you can't get much better, especially in a bullish market when the underlying asset is appreciating. Um, people think dividends are great. This is paid out every single day. Is it more than every single day for you? Um, I remember my Zen was every other day, I believe. Yeah, the pancake auto cake farm pretty much pays out every like two minutes. Yeah, so that double, double compounds like... <laughs> At an unbelievable amount. Um, Virtually continuous. Absolute insanity. And the one thing that is interesting to note kind of about PancakeSwap is their biggest competitor is Uniswap. And Uniswap just launched their V3 protocol. And essentially, uh, they want to be cemented as the number one automated market maker on the ERC-20 network. And Uniswap v3 added a lot of innovative features, both for like the retail traders using the platform to kind of optimize their fees. Because in essence, one of the biggest changes that they could make is you could add limit orders. But what makes it really interesting from the liquidity provision side of things is now, in essence, you can choose where you're contributing your liquidity. Because obviously only so much liquidity is needed to facilitate a decentralized exchange. And with the new changes to Uniswap, liquidity providers can, for example, if they want to provide, uh, let's say, liquidity on both sides of FUNI, so that means they want to provide both F and Uni, they can choose to have their liquidity work for them in a more narrow spread 
So that means their liquidity is used more often, and that means they'll generate more rewards. So in essence, you can basically choose a price range where you want your liquidity to be used at. And if you choose the right price ranges, you'll make a lot more money because that means your liquidity is being used more often versus how they all function now where it just gets added to a central pool and uh, you don't have the same concentration of liquidity within the decentralized exchange. Super innovative, but at the end of the day, I think we're still witnessing the fundamental bottleneck to Ethereum is ETH 2.0 has been months away for what feels like years now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the fees are super high. Like I got some uh, Dracula protocol shout out Palma on the Discord. I didn't get rug pulled, but did did decrease starkly in value. And uh, just to get that, I ended up paying, uh, I believe it was twenty five dollars for the exchange fee, and I'm gonna have to pay that twenty five dollars again when I sell. In essence, just because the Ethereum network is bloated, it's a little bit slow, and the gas fees can get pretty high. Yeah, I, I definitely say that that's the huge, probably the biggest benefit of Binance Smart Chain. And it's kind of interesting, uh, the kind of things you brought up kind of made me think about the fact that Binance has both areas secured. Because you got the Binance Smart Chain, but then you also have the centralized Binance and, and you got PancakeSwap, that it's the decentralized version of um, kind of the, the version of the centralized. So if we are able to get decentralized exchanges to a point where they're able to function similar, if not better than centralized exchanges being able to use these different orders to be able to manage trades that would be pretty pretty well devastating for centralized exchanges but binance kind of has feet in both waters really um so that's really interesting being able to kind of see that shift and obviously coinbase i don't think will be able to make that shift so i think like i said pancake swap and then bnb as well you're able to make less gains in terms of apy but you're still able to make I think I would say that Binance is a little bit more in terms of like if you're looking at it from a stock like a blue chip, it's a little bit more reputable. Um, it's been around for a lot longer. It's obviously the largest exchange in the world. So it has a lot of people backing it, using it. You're able to reduce your fees when you actually purchase and use BNB's BNB to pay your fees. So then you need to be able to actually buy BNB and then you can uh, trade very small amounts of uh, coins that you have left over because you can only sell $10 worth or, or more um, or buy $10 worth or more. So then you will have these small amounts that you will eventually turn all into BNB. So there's a steady stream of buyers in BNB just within their internal platform because there's so many people using it. So that's kind of a benefit for just their asset in a nutshell, because you're able to have a continuous stream of people buying into it in order to at least transfer their small uh, coins into BNB or to buy BNB in order to reduce their fees when they're trading. Um, so a lot of benefits on that front. So if there was a had to be a choice between the ETH Uni side versus the uh, Binance Smart Chain and the Cake side, um, we definitely see the Cake side because of the reduced fees and like you know the, the fees have gone up. Um, significant amounts for Ethereum and you can't really do much with Uni unless they get the 2.0 out Um, and they've been postponing and pushing that back for quite some time so um, we were talking it might even be past this bull run right like uh, we're talking about it potentially being kind of closer to the end is when the bull run will complete kind of similar to what we had in 2017 Um, obviously it's not going to be exactly the same but usually there's a blow off top 
usually goes higher than what pe most people think and then there's a big crash down and that's the massive volatility that is going to be the finishing off of the bull run and people who are looking at the market right now saying oh my god it's topping i definitely do not think so usually bull runs finish off with a massive blow off top and i think this one will not be any different yeah, 100%. I think within the timing of ETH 2.0, it might be rapidly approaching too little too late in terms of actually delivering a functional project during the bull run. I think me and Keith are both eyeing up kind of late fall, early winter 2021 for when this bull run will top out. I think we're in the market for a hot Bitcoin summer, uh, but with the actual delivery of ETH 2.0, I think that it might deliver outside of the time frame when the market is absolutely insanely bullish and just going straight green dildo mode. Because that's the other thing to consider is, okay, ETH sitting at 3500 US, but the gas fees that you pay are denominated in guai, not dollars. So the more bullish ETH becomes, in essence, the more you'll be paying for transactions. Just another thing to keep in mind as you navigate the cryptosphere. Obviously, we own both super bullish on both projects because they are both innovators. They're, they are both market leaders, but kind of for their own different reasons. And uh, just we just got two more stories for this before we wrap up the episode. Uh, speaking of ETH, this one's about Vitalik. Uh, basically, in case you don't know, he is the creator, the pioneer of the Ethereum ecosystem. And uh, he actually did some very good work the other day. He donated over $650,000 uh, to India because they are suffering from a tsunami of COVID. There's not enough oxygen. There's not enough ventilators, not enough medical supplies. They're really just, they're having over like 300,000 cases a day. And I think overall health authorities are really struggling to keep up. And so it's good to kind of see some uh, holistic donation coming from the crypto community because I think quite a few projects have donated to them. Shout out Elon Gate for their donation that they made to India, but obviously this one's a little bit more high profile coming from the one, the only Vitalik, the creator of Ethereum. Yeah, definitely uh, much needed. And I think, I don't exactly know if it really did start it, but you are starting to see these um, less use case coins initiate the actual uh, funding of charities. I don't exactly know if it started there, but you are seeing a lot of these um, new coins starting on the Binance Smart Chain and implement like a part of their uh, actual uh, burn to actually in, uh, not invest, but uh, give away to like a fundraiser or a charity or potentially something like this where a country is very, uh, is, is suffering quite a bit from um, COVID or maybe some point in the future, some other situation, but great to see overall, obviously this is a huge um, uh, donation compared to what these smaller coins are actually putting in. So really great to see that uh, money's getting put to use uh, in a good way. The final thing we're gonna go into is um, Cardano. Interesting information on them. They've actually struck a partnership with the Ethiopian, Ethiopian government uh, the partnership between IOHK and the Ethiopian government will see a blockchain-based identity solution rolled out to new schools nationwide, which is really interesting. Um, and then the uh, developer and creator of Cardano is kind of uh, viewing Cardano as like an ETH 2.0. Uh, me and Nathan have been always kind of talking about, uh, and, and his name is Charles Hopson, Hot, Hot, Hotskins. But um, yeah, we've been talking about how 
his project does not really have a uh, an actual formidable project yet, like a real usable project. Um, but really interesting to see. Um, what are your thoughts there? Hey, I might get flamed a little bit for this, but uh, I can't say that I own a massive bag of uh, Cardano. I ha I owned quite a bit during the last bull run, 2017, but ultimately this project feels kind of along the lines of like the XRP marketing scheme where they're invading a big space. They know they're invading a big space. And so they're going to market the ever-loving fuck out of their project. And that's really what we've seen. Uh, there's been some speculation that the Cardano network can only really handle between 7 and 10 transactions a second. Uh, there's also been, it seems like smart contracts have been a couple months away for years now. They've set the date that they'll be available in August. I'll believe it when I see it personally. Because they say that they're peer-reviewed and it seems like that's their chief excuse to not actually have progress. Uh, on their actual project, they're like, oh, it needs to get peer-reviewed by universities and peers. And it's like, is that really aligned with how cryptocurrencies should operate? Or are you just trying to take it slow and steady and cash your bank while the FOMO sets in from retail traders? I don't know. Cardano seems like one of those ones where the fundamental value, or sorry, the price of the coin has far exceeded the fundamental value that it brings. Because in essence, if it doesn't have smart contracts, it's doing the same thing that Litecoin does, but Litecoin can handle more than eight transactions a second. So that's just my two cents. I don't know. I like to uh, not call out projects that don't have working models, but it's important to recognize that the cryptocurrency market is largely speculative in nature. And although Cardano is a top 10 coin and you'd assume they'd have a working prototype, that is not always the case. So that's why it's always important to put on your inspector gadget hat, take a deeper dive into these projects, read the white papers, actually keep up with their progress because far and away, we've seen it way too many times where companies come out with a bang, they develop a flashy white paper, a flashy mission statement, and then they do nothing for four years until it's the next bull run and they come right back to their bullshit. So. That's just my two cents. Maybe someone else can shed some light on what Cardano is doing in the space that's actually innovative and bringing some value to their network. Because as far as I can tell, it seems like they're just trying to grab some cash while they slowly work on a back end to facilitate the ADA network. Yeah, just want to say it was Hushkinson. I uh, didn't quite read that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, quite the last name there. I feel like that's... I mean, same thing with like Vitalik Buzorin. There's uh, loads of uh, people in crypto with those, uh, let's say, not foreign last names because it's low-key racist, but cultured. I guess that just highlights just how international and global the space is, is when you have people from diverse backgrounds, diverse last names, consequently. And overall, it's really, I guess you could say, decentralized. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, definitely well-marketed. He probably posts, I don't know how many times a week, but he's on YouTube all the time. Um, I sometimes follow his stuff. I think that's why it recommends it to me. But um, yeah, I, I don't have a, a big bag, that's for sure, of ADA. But um, he definitely commits to pumping out as much content as he possibly can and kind of shitting on all the others to, to, to some degree. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like as a part of his own... Uh, project he's gonna have his own biases which makes sense so that's basically gonna be the uh, rounding off of another episode here at Performante 
thank you very much for tuning in and uh, I'll pass it over on to Nathan to final it up or finalize it up and finish it up here. I appreciate the time you've taken to tune into our crypto banter. The day is March 7th. Crazy just how quick springtime is going, but we're going to be getting those pod, these podcasts up on a more regular basis. Just been a little bit busy in our own personal lives, but luckily should be able to get these podcasts out on a more regular basis for all of our lovely community to enjoy. And on that bombshell, we'll end the episode wherever you may be. Stay safe. Take care. All the best.